Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Jordan's Pathway podcast. Jordan's Pathway is the true life story of Jordan, a boy diagnosed with autism. It's a book written by his grandmother, Caroline Frankie, and her friend, Roland Bush Cavell. And I'm your host, Roland Bush Cavell. In this episode, we bring you chapter 17, discovering what works for your autistic child. And as ever, I will be reading for Caroline. But firstly, a big thank you to all our listeners for all of you who have chosen to buy our book on Amazon, either in Kindle or paperback. Knowing you're supporting Jordan's pathway means the world to all his family. This is Jordan's story. Chapter 17. Discovering what works for your autistic child. Jordan and Lauren have both given us an insight into life that could not be had on any other journey. And what we have learned from them about the nature of love and the value of patience and encouragement is immense. Autistic children are beautiful human beings, often defined by the vulnerability autism places upon them. Now at last, autism is in the public eye, offering beleaguered parents a glimmer of hope that recognition will promote understanding and perhaps a shared acceptance for the children who once merely thought of as odd. The sad thing is that, like all children, they do not come into this world with a handbook or manual that explains how you might cope, how you can meet their needs and understand their mysteries. Even when you do figure out how to work with your autistic child, it is difficult to share knowledge that is useful to other parents of autistic children. Autism manifests in so many different ways, and with such a vast difference in severity that what works for one child will not necessarily work for another. Yet, despite the differences, there are many common traits in autistic behaviour and many experiences that parents can relate to. When we began writing this book, we wanted to reach out to parents of autistic children everywhere and as best as we were able, through Jordan's story, to show that they are not alone in their journey. Perhaps most importantly, we wanted to share some of the lessons we have learned on Jordan's pathway to illustrate some of the limitations and possibilities and to put these in context. For while every autistic child shares a common heritage, each one is unique. Puzzling thoughts. Perhaps the most important perspective I have gained from Jordan over all these years is an understanding of how he thinks. While he sees our world through a warped pane of glass, his sensory input distorted, clearly it is not just his perception that is affected. There are other differences. Distinct contrast in how he is able to process the information that filters through to his mind from his five senses. Gaining a perspective on this is immensely important because it helps a parent to appreciate how to introduce new elements to their child's life and even to some extent anticipate what the likely reactions are when they do so. Jordan's thought process is born of his efforts to understand the world around him and to work around his own limitations to function without the ability to make the kind of associations we take for granted. Instead of the background of reasoning and emotional reactions we employ, Jordan has to create a map of the world without the aid of intuition and with very limited communication. And so the thoughts in Jordan's mind have, to him, the same importance and solidity as the distorted input of his five senses. When I think of his mind, I see it as a maze that is choked with information crammed with dense thoughts in an effort to cope. Each situation Jordan encounters has to be understood before he will accept it and to understand that it is not a threat or source of anxiety. He has to relate it to what he already knows. 
integrating all this information, getting him to accept any given situation for the first time, is like solving one side of a Rubik's Cube, lining up squares until that situation is, in effect, all one colour, and therefore coherent in his mind. Yet, if you take one element of the situation and change it to move one square, then nothing makes sense to him anymore and the situation becomes a threat again. This is why, even when he was eating cheese, we had such a hard time in getting him to accept the thought of eating a cheese sandwich, because he cannot intuitively recognise associations. He did not know cheese in that context. We had already solved one side of the cube, and he had accepted ham sandwiches. To then have that same sandwich filled with cheese, he would have had to scramble the perfectly constructed side of the cube that he had lined up in his mind. The one that associated the square of ham with the square of bread and the square of butter, and instead introduced the yellow square of cheese. To do this, at each turn, he would have to question one of the associations he had made, effectively scrambling his entire world. He would have to turn the cube in his mind to associate ham with bread to turn it again to associate it with a sandwich cut into four, turn it again to associate eating that sandwich on a plate, then turn it again to associate them in context of being served at the table. Only once this association had been made would another square fall into place in the puzzle of his mind. To then change the association of where he ate the sandwich would mean starting all over again from the beginning. So. Everything is categorised and mapped out, and Jordan cannot differentiate between what is relevant and what is not. Each step of the way in any change is an exercise in his thinking it through, working it out and being led by us. Even the simplest of changes will involve many turns of the cube in Jordan's mind, as he changes the relationship of every element around a particular action, and that is why it often takes so long to do so. The thoughts in Jordan's brain have the same importance and solidity as the outside world, because they are the only way of relating to it, and the map in his mind has become the territory he is willing to occupy. You can appreciate then why autistic children avoid the things that are strange to them, and why, before they become more familiar with our world, they would choose to ignore it as much as they can. Because the unfamiliar is so frightening, Anything that is strange to their experience will often be tuned out and avoided. This is why it's so important to bridge the gap between our two worlds, introducing language and pictures to your child as soon as you are able. Anything that can promote familiarity and understanding. Language, be it picture cards, sign language or verbal, is perhaps the most important route to accelerating the development of any autistic child. It is the key to communication, and even those who have yet to learn to speak may understand far more than we suspect. For this reason, we have spent hours with Jordan, reinforcing the phrases that become verbal keys to help him feel secure and to help us introduce new ideas. This then opens the door for the slow, methodical introduction of ideas and situations and behaviours. Meanwhile, time passes as you wait for the moment your child is ready to progress. Even with the ability to communicate established Autistic children will often lean on routine as a place to hide in safety. Routine lets them know where they stand and what to expect next, for this makes their world more secure. This is why it's so important to introduce and help them understand the concept of time. Once they have developed this ability, you can introduce set times for set activities. A bedtime, bath time, 
and mealtimes helped them to feel secure during their day. However, we had to be cautious not to make Jordan's day too regimented and rigid. Otherwise, he would have expected every element of his days forevermore to conform to his timetable. Jordan currently has three timetables, each one of them different. The one he has at his own home, the one he has at school, and the one he has when he visits my home. It is very important to maintain this flexibility. And in the case of when he visits me at home, we change his daily timetable deliberately in a distinct effort to keep him flexible, to understand that changes are acceptable and that each one does not herald the end of the world. Routine aside, encouraging an autistic child to participate in our world is another key to their development. Otherwise, many of them would prefer to remain locked in their own world forever. This is why mealtimes, family parties, socialising at school, all of these play a very important role in Jordan's development. Yet Jordan will only come into our world when we encourage or, on occasion, push him to do so. Even though he chooses to stay in his safe haven because our world is so confusing to him, still part of him wants to be engaged with us. Though he has to make conscious effort to translate what we are saying or doing, he will instantly relate to that which is of natural interest to him, suddenly on high alert. So his ears prick up when we mention shopping, or a new video game, or buying food he likes. But the rest of the time, even now he is older, we have to metaphorically take his hand and pull him into our reality, all the while reassuring and reasoning with him as he crosses the divide, providing verbal encouragement to help him understand and feel safe. For Jordan is selective as to what he allows in, be it a new food or a new piece of clothing, and even when he makes the effort, he still does not understand every situation he finds himself in or why we ask him to participate. The danger, as with all autistic children, is that he stays stuck. For his interpretation of the world is so hard fought for that changing any one element is like scrambling that Rubik's Cube once more. Before autistic children can match up all six sides of their cube and become accustomed to life, their parents have to help them solve one situation at a time, effectively marrying up one side of the cube on a daily or hourly basis. Each new element, each food and situation has to be brought into acceptance before they move on to the next. Showing them that the yellow of a cheese sandwich can fit into the green of their school day is therefore a monumental undertaking. But once this is accepted, then the puzzle of their life is one turn nearer being solved and you can then turn to the next challenge. This is one reason why autistic children prefer to avoid this is one reason why autistic children prefer to avoid interacting with us, especially when we are seeking to introduce change. Because each and every one of our efforts to bring in something new is a threat to the situations they already understand. Solving the whole cube may take an entire lifetime, and even then all you have done is equip them to function to the degree they are able. In the meantime, often they will focus on one subject, perhaps mastering it until they become savants that specialise in one side of their cube. This is why perseverance, reassurance and a measured approach will serve you well in combating the limitations autism seeks to impose. No man is an island. Many autistic children enter life as silent observers, seeing everything but not appreciating what it is they are witnessing or what relevance it has for them. They view our world devoid of conscious need, compassion, familiarity or understanding of their relationship to it. 
irrelevant and unexamined, without our intervention, life might otherwise pass them by, and they would remain lost on their own individual islands, cocooned in their repetitive behaviours. Like looking at the world through a borrowed pair of binoculars, sights, sounds and smells all compete for equal priority in Jordan's narrow focus and nothing is in perspective. If your eyes lied to you, if you could not interpret what they told you, if you could not work out what was relevant, wouldn't you seek to run and hide in your own private world? This is yet another reason why the commonality of a shared experience is almost entirely missing from the autistic world. And every parent of an autistic child knows this is why communication, the one element that is most difficult and elusive, is also the most essential component in their child's progression. Too much of a good thing. This gap in understanding is partly why Jordan loves his computer games so much. Any new situations that are outside of his understanding are immensely scary, nightmare intrusions, while with his computer games he can wrap himself in them, become absorbed in a reality that does not demand his physical interaction and is controllable and safe. With all the trials he has been through to progress to the lovable man he is fast becoming, it is lovely that he has something in his life that he enjoys so much. However, Lisa, Brian and I often find ourselves wondering whether we should be allowing Jordan to be so lost in the world of gaming. Ours is not an unusual dilemma. Many parents will be familiar with the sight of their teenage children hunched over their phones, tablets, laptops or consoles. The danger for Jordan is that his teenage preoccupations could easily extend into the rest of his life. In the meantime, gaming helps Jordan live in the world and there are a lot of games he enjoys. But for the last eight years, Pokemon has remained his favourite. Each year, the Pokemon annual appears on his Christmas list alongside a Pokemon game, and all the while, he will watch his favourite Pokemon video clips over and over again. Thankfully, Jordan is developing in many ways, and his increasing realisation of the relevance of time helps us to put the length of time he spends at his laptop and gaming consoles into perspective for him. Yet, like most boys his age, he likes things his way, and very much prefers to spend his time on his own terms. So for now, our attempts to limit Jordan's time on computer games are very much a work in progress. I am Jordan. Jordan, I am. One quirk of Jordan's speech is that up until the time he was around 15 years old, generally, he referred to himself in the third person. From the time he was able to talk, he would do this, and when he was older and more compliant, Jordan do it or Jordan get it would be a typical reply if we asked him to do something for us. Typically, if an adult displays this behaviour, then they are seen as being narcissistic, while in Jordan's case, it shows that initially, at least, he was merely copying exactly what we said to him, word for word. Very occasionally, he reverts to this habit, which is a common one amongst autistic children, but generally speaking, it is something he has grown out of as he gains a greater grasp on his own identity. To observe and protect. The best advice to autistic parents is to spend time observing their children, to watch and learn the things that make them respond well and those that send them into a downward spiral. There is normally a trigger, something that provokes the response. In Jordan's case, while we do not know everything about him, we do know that any sign of an argument or somebody singing out loud 
causes him a lot of disquiet. We know that this is so, we know not to argue or sing in his presence, but we still do not know why. We know that loud computer games or music do not bother him in the least, as he will contentedly sit listening to them for hours at a time. So while observation may help you understand more, it does not necessarily grant you all the answers. The phrase that pays. For an autistic child, where understanding is so plainly elusive, you can partly hope to bridge this gap through constant repetition. Repeating phrases helps your autistic child understand what to expect next, creates familiarity with the world around them and can, in turn, help bring security that would otherwise be absent. Repetition. Saying the same thing over and over again was perhaps one of the most important techniques we used to help Jordan adopt desirable behaviours. It was the most important key to improving his communication and unlocking his life. Repetition is especially important when you are introducing a routine. While Jordan has progressed beyond this stage, Lauren is a work in progress, and we use exactly the same basic naming techniques for her. So dinner, with the action of putting the plate on the table, prepares Lauren for the change from not eating to eating. Coat, while we present her with her coat, helps her to realise it's time to go out and puts meaning to the words while allowing her time to mentally prepare. TV, while we hand her the remote control, means it is time for her favourite programme. We still use repetition with Jordan Daly. It serves to create familiarity and reassure him that whatever situation he is in is an acceptable one. The irony does not escape us, that the key to unlocking Jordan's world and helping him overcome his own repetitive behaviours is to adopt our own. Even though this technique works, teaching even the simplest of things, such as the names of objects, can take years. And yet this patient effort is worth it because the more words Jordan understands, the more he can relate to us directly and the more we can explain the world to him. So we say, well done Jordan, you are being a good man and I am so proud of you to reinforce positive behaviours and encourage him. And we have key words for bad behaviour too. Things we say to deter Jordan from acting in ways that are not helpful, such as, You must not do that, Jordan. It is not appropriate. And we have key words for reassurance. It's okay, repeated over and over again, as many times as he needs to hear it to feel secure. We have used these phrases since his childhood and we develop new ones to meet new situations. Repetition is not the only answer because while it has helped Jordan to learn, it only goes so far. And even though he's learnt many phrases from us as a consequence, he doesn't necessarily fully understand their meaning. So, when he does not want to eat a certain food because he does not like the taste, he will use the only appropriate phrase he knows and say his tummy is full. And he will often answer inappropriately in amusing ways. If we say to him, I am sorry that you hurt yourself, he will inevitably reply, That's okay, I forgive you. And we will laugh good-naturedly as we explain that sorry can be a simple expression of regret as well as an apology. Still, he does not yet understand this and the same response comes back time and again. Of course, that is not the only phrase Jordan does not understand. Generally, if he is unsure about what I mean and doesn't know how to respond, he says, Don't be silly, Nan. You're only joking. Which I think is a lovely way of putting it. 
to Jordan even today, English remains a foreign language. Superhero or super homebody. Even when Jordan does pick up on the literal meaning of words and phrases, it can sometimes create quite amusing circumstances. A few years ago, for a while, he went through a phase of telling everyone, my name is Spirit Boy, the name of one of his favourite gaming characters. For months, Jordan was adamant that we address him by his new title, and he would often approach bemused shop assistants and passers-by to tell them, hi, my name is Spirit Boy while they tried to work out what to do with this information. Even today, Jordan maintains high aspirations for his future career as a hero. Recently, he approached Lisa, his face serious, as you can imagine, with such a momentous decision. Mum, I want to join the army. Lisa was quick to explain. You realise you won't be able to stay at home, Jordan. Are you going to cope with that? Jordan was quiet. Then slowly he responded, thinking it through. Yes, you won't be sleeping in your own bed at home anymore. Are you going to cope with that? He thought some more. Yes, and you won't see mum, dad, nan and Lauren, and you won't be able to have the food you like. Silence. Then another slowly spoken. Yes, and you won't be able to play computer games. This final blow was obviously far too much. And this time, Jordan's response was a lot quicker. His new career chosen. OK, I don't join the army now. I changed my mind. I be a superhero. Lisa gently explained that superheroes had to leave home too and couldn't play computer games as they would be far too busy. Jordan quickly decided that perhaps, after all, staying at home was the best option. This concludes episode 17 of Jordan's Pathway, the true life story of one boy's journey with autism. Listen out for our next podcast episode where we bring you chapter 18, A Visit to Nans. And if you're enjoying Jordan's Pathway, please find us on Amazon, where the full version of the book is available in Kindle or paperback, delivered straight to your door. In the meantime, this is your host, Roland Bush Cavell, wishing you a very good pathway.